Father, again, uh, what a privilege it is to come and a, and a gift from you to be able to come in a comfortable setting and a beautiful place here by the beach and the ocean to just uh, see your creation and, and just a glimpse of, of your power, uh, to be able to come and just to study your word. And Lord, I thank you for the folks that we love to get together with and have been for quite a while. And uh, Lord, as we get into chapter 20 tonight, we're excited about, uh, after studying about all these wars and different things, we get to look at the millennial reign. Uh, tonight and some more next time as we get together. But Lord, tonight um, I pray that, that that some of these truths would sink in in such a way that it would actually affect how we view life. Things that we have, things that we don't have, that the things of this world would actually grow strangely dim uh, in view of what it is that you have in store for us. Uh, Lord, I'm excited. I pray that this excitement will continue by the power of your spirit, by the power of your word, uh, Lord, and that it would sink in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're only going to be able to cover verses 1 through 6 tonight, but there's a lot of scripture in that. So let me read to you verses 1 through 6. It says, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss. And holding in his hand a great chain, he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Now I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus, and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. The blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. We're going to start off by looking at this angel. Uh, One of the big questions over the years has been, is this angel Jesus? And I'm going to tell you, I believe unequivocally the angel is not Jesus for a couple of reasons. One is, at this point, do you think John would describe if he saw Jesus as an angel? No, he, he's seen him excuse me, as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's seen him as the lamb. He's seen him on his throne. There's no way he would say an angel came down if it were Jesus. And secondly, we actually probably have already seen this angel back in Revelation chapter 9. Go back to Revelation 9 and look at verses uh, 1 and 2. It says, The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. And when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And then, of course, in verses 3 and 4, we see about the locusts and the demons that come out. But here we see, we've studied this already, the star is an angel, and this angel had the key to the abyss. And it said, he opened it. There's a strong chance that this angel is probably the same angel. And now he comes down and he has the key to the abyss. And not only that, he's a great chain. And he grabs, and I love how God has described without question who it is he grabs. 
He sees the dragon. And if you're not sure who the dragon is, that's the ancient serpent. Remember the serpent in the wilderness? I mean, not sorry, in the wilderness, but in the, in the Garden of Eden. But if you're not sure who that is still, he calls him the devil or Satan. That dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil or Satan. We have no question who it is he's grabbing. But he puts him into the abyss. Now, this is a very interesting thing. Um, you remember back when Jesus walked on the earth uh, and he found this man with the legion of demons inside of him? And as he walked up, the legion of demons within him recognized Jesus as God. And they said, we know who you are, uh, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. Have you come to send us to the abyss before the appointed time? So I think at this point, during the millennial reign, not only will Satan, but also the demons, his minions, if you will, be put into the abyss. You know, And they know that there was a time coming. They just saw Jesus and thought, whoa, this is a little early. You know, and... Uh, here, Satan will be put into the abyss. Where we left off last time we were together, uh, the false prophet and Antichrist were thrown into the lake of fire. That's different. And you're going to see that when we get further on in this uh, chapter. But for tonight, let's just understand that this angel uh, comes and binds Satan, throws him into the abyss, and he's kept in punishment there, or in prison, if you will, uh, for a thousand years. Go ahead. He will be released out at the end, which you will see when we get to, which we won't get to tonight. But in chapter 20, verse 7, you'll see when the thousand years are over, he'll be released from his prison. Go ahead. It's not the lake of fire. It's a place of, of, of holding, if you will. It's like a jail cell of some sort that, can, that Satan can't get out of. He's somehow unable to do his work on the earth. Don't know how it works. It's definitely going to be something pretty high tech. You know? <laughs> how it works, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. But at the same time, the Bible actually says that there are some of the angels who left their position back in the book of Genesis chapter 6 when they cohabited with women and made this race of Nephilim. Uh, some of those angels have been in a place of prison. Uh, the Bible describes it in the Greek word Tartarus. We see that in the book of Jude. There are some angels that have been held in a place of captivity ever since that time. Again, is it the same place? I don't know. But it's, it's just a place that he's going to be held until the thousand years are over. Which is a very interesting thing, by the way. Because the Bible, as you will see tonight, has been talking about the millennial reign for a very, very long time. Actually, most of your Old Testament talks about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Um, but we've never known how long it was going to be. We just knew that there was going to be this kingdom on the earth with Jesus himself, the Messiah, on the earth. And we've known that the scripture was talking about the Jews believed there was going to be this kingdom of God. That's why they were waiting for the Messiah. So many prophecies talked about this time when the Messiah would come and rule on the earth. We know now from Revelation chapter 20 how long that time period is actually going to be. It's going to be a thousand years. And if you look at it, I think it's six times. In this one small section, counting verse 7, it talks about the thousand years. Yeah, you see it there uh, in verse uh, 2. He bound him for a thousand years. And then in, you see in uh, verse 3, uh, it kept from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. And then we see again, it's talked about in verse, uh, end of verse 4, they came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Uh, and then we see in verse, uh, the end of verse 6, uh, will reign with him for a thousand years. Then in verse 7, when the thousand years are over. Any question how long it's going to be? I think it'll be about a thousand years, exactly. <laughs> Give or take. 
That's right, exactly. So here we have it. So what I want to do, though, is I just want to give you a taste of some of the millennial passages. There is just no way we could take the time tonight to go into all of them. If you really want to do that on your own study, there's ways you can do that. Go on on the web and just Google millennial passages. I'm going to give you three that I want you just to give a taste of what life's going to be like at that time. So go with me to Ezekiel chapter 47. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. This is one of those passages I had Elise read tonight, <clears throat> and uh, just get kind of get kind of giggly excited when you start to look at some of this stuff. In Ezekiel chapter forty-seven, this is at the end of a long section where they've been describing the millennial temple, and in chapter forty-seven, listen, listen to verses one through twelve. It says, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from underneath the south side of the, south of the temple, south of the altar. So to make sure you understand what's going on, the, the millennial temple is going to face east. The water flowing from the temple is going to be flowing eastward, but it's coming out of the south side of the temple and then flowing eastward. And this is what it's saying here. All right. Now, he then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was flowing from the south side. As the main man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, about 1,500 feet. And then he led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits, and he led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, Son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the sea. Oh, and by the way, that sea that it's talking about is the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Englame. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They'll be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they'll bear, because the water from that sanctuary flows to them. And their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. Now, how many of you saw some of the Chronicles of Narnia movies? Did you see those? Do you remember the picture of the, the water? You ever, you ever just thought to yourself, man, I want to jump in that water? And that was a sparkling clear. That's kind of the picture I get. It's going to be just an unbelievably wide river, a flowing river that's getting deeper and deeper and deeper, and it flows into the Dead Sea and turns the Dead Sea fresh, and trees are... We've got an orange tree in our backyard. Pumps out a lot of oranges. Once a year. Once a year. <laughs> that's a, a bummer, because we love the oranges. They're good. But when an orange tree pumps out 150... And it literally does, 150 oranges. You can't eat them all. And it's nice that we get to share, but there's also that side of you that says, man, I would have loved to eat every single one of them. But these trees are pumping them out every month. That's a neat thing. Yes, sir? Just to uh, talk about the river, there's a uh, state park in uh, Oregon 
and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, if any of the people of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. If the Egyptian people do not go up and take part, they'll have no rain. The Lord will bring on them the plague He inflicts on the nations that do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. On that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses and the cooking pots and in the Lord's house, and it will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord Almighty, and all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them, and on that day there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord Almighty. Alright, again, here we see a picture. Jesus Himself is going to literally rule and reign on this earth, and when the, the earth is going to go through a, a metamorphosis at the end of the tribulation period, He's going to be going through it during the tribulation period as well, and at that point He's going to rule and reign, and it's going to be His kingdom on the earth. Uh, and all nations will come to, to worship Him there. Now, though, we're going to get into the fact that it's not going to be just Jesus ruling on this earth. Go back to Revelation chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 4. John then says, I saw thrones, plural, on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and not received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead didn't come to life until a thousand years were ended. And this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So now we're going to deal with who are these people who have been given an authority to judge. Now in order to answer that question, you've got to do a study of Scripture, and the Scripture has been talking about this all the way through. I'm going to show you tonight that I believe there are three main groups of people who are going to have authority to judge during the Millennial Kingdom. All right, The first group is the church. All right, Put a bookmark here in Revelation 20 and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is the first place we're going to start. Look at verses 1 through 3. It says, If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Here, and Paul is dealing with a church there in Corinth who Christians in the church were having disputes and they were taking their situation to secular, if you will, un, un, people who don't know the Lord, judges. And Paul's getting on them and he's saying, hang on for a second, why are you guys taking each other to court? We've got a problem here. Don't you guys know that you're going to one day rule and judge the world? Don't you know that one day after that you're going to judge angels? Um, why in the world are you not able to handle these situations among you? And by the way, if you were to keep reading on, he even says later on, the fact that you're even fighting about these things means you're defeated already. He then goes on and says, why aren't some of you being willing to be wronged? Because what happens is we lose sight. And I'm going to show you some passages in a little bit that talk about some things that hopefully will make you lose sight of whether or not you win or lose in this life. But too many of us are worrying about our rights and defending our rights. Here, in this little tidbit of dealing with the church who has taken each other to court, he said, 
you're going to judge the world. Alright? Now, let me show you a couple other places. Go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verses 11 and 12. I love when these types of things happen. Uh, look at how Paul starts this. He says, here's a trustworthy saying. Does that mean that his other sayings weren't trustworthy? No. No, hopefully, hopefully you don't think that. But if he says, here's a trustworthy saying, what's he wanting to do? Emphasize. Like, if you're going to miss something, don't miss this. Alright? If we died with him... We will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. Here he's talking again to the church. Let me give you two more passages, three more passages real quick. Back in Revelation chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Let me read that to you real quick. Revelation chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. It's what Jesus says to the churches. He said, To him who overcomes... I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You're shaking your head. I agree. This is boggling to me. I mean, think about the fact that Jesus went and sat down at the right hand of God the Father and said, All authority has been given to me. And here Jesus Himself said, If you overcome, and who are the overcomers? Those who believe that Jesus is the Christ. If you overcome, I'm going to give you the authority to sit on my throne, just like the Father gave me authority to sit on His throne. Folks, if we really start to let some of these Scriptures sink in, all of a sudden things of this world, they just go by the wayside. They go by the wayside. And I'm about to show you another one that gets even better. Go to Matthew chapter 19. I love how this whole situation has started. Jesus has just said that it's hard for a rich person to get into heaven. (laughs) Peter, who really doesn't fully understand who Christ is yet, wants to make sure that that Jesus hadn't missed out on the fact that they gave up everything. (laughs) He just said it's hard for a rich person to get into heaven. And then in verse 27 of Matthew 19, Matthew 19, verse 27, Peter answered him and said, We have left everything to follow you. (laughs) What will there be for us? Jesus said to him, Listen, I tell you the truth. By the way, let's stop again. Does Jesus only tell the truth when he says, I tell you the truth? No. <laughs> okay. I was, I was preaching about this earlier today. Uh, those of you that listen to Charles Stanley on the radio. You ever listen to Charles Stanley? When he wants you to hear something, what does he say? Listen. He'll be preaching the whole time, but every now and then he'll go, listen. He wants you to not miss this. When Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's going to go, woo. He means us to pay close attention. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne... You who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left... Let me stop there real quick. Here we see now that the twelve apostles are going to sit on twelve thrones, judging the tribes of Israel. Alright? But then he says, And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother... Now, I'm sorry, I get interior when I think about this, because... How many times in in our life have we had to say goodbye to family when God called us to go pastor a church in another part of the country and you couldn't see family until you got a vacation or whatever? 
everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive 100 times as much. Now, does Jesus use hyperbole? No. Folks, let that sink in. If you would not focus on this life, but store up treasure in heaven, be focused on Him and His kingdom, trusting that He's going to take care of it, not worried about whether or not you've been wronged, believing in a big, awesome, powerful God that one day, who nothing misses His understanding, nothing slips by His notice, one day at the renewal of all things is going to reward us. And oh, by the way, I don't know if you've even let this sink in yet, but the millennial reign, when we're going to come and reign with Jesus, lasts over ten times as long as the time we've had on this earth now. Isn't that amazing? It would only be ten times as long if you lived to a hundred, and very few of us are going to see that. It's going to be over ten times as long as this. Oh, and by the way, Jesus said, in this life, if you've been faithful, I'm going to pay you back a hundred times as much. And we're going to be sitting on thrones and ruling with Jesus. How that all plays out, I couldn't tell you. But I'm going to be honest with you. I think it's going to be pretty cool. I think it's going to be pretty cool. Go one more place. Go to Luke chapter 22. Verses 24 through 30. Jesus is referring to this time period again. But He teaches on it slightly different here. Not different in the sense of contradictory. But some more information. Luke 22, verses 24 through 30. Also a dispute arose among some of them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel." Who are those who have been given authority to judge? Well, we know for sure the church has been given authority to judge and the twelve apostles have been given authority over twelve tribes of Israel. But I want you to see also that the Bible says the Old Testament, I'm sorry, the, the tribulation saints are also going to be given authority to judge during the millennial kingdom. And that we see back here in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, the tribulation saints... In this passage we've just read in verses 4 through 6, it says, I saw thrones in which were seated those who have been given authority to judge, and I saw souls of those who have been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus. And it describes them. They haven't received His image or His mark and hadn't worshipped the image of the beast. They came to life and what? Reigned with Jesus for a thousand years. Again, it says at the end of verse 6, they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. So, the tribulation saints are going to reign with Jesus as well. The church and the tribulation saints are going to be in authority during this time period with Christ. Over all those people in the whole world who've made it through that end time period, who hadn't, had survived God's judgment on the nations, um, we're going to rule and reign in the tribulation saints with them. 
but there's one other group as well that has not been seen very clearly because it's not clearly said in the New Testament, but the Old Testament has given proof of it. The Old Testament saints as well are going to rule and reign with Jesus in the, in the millennium. And I'll show you those passages. It's back in Deuteronomy. You have to realize, a lot of what was said to the nation of Israel, back in Deuteronomy, when God had called them out as a people and gave His promises to them, there was a lot of prophecy in those promises that's been missed. Because, well, the nation of Israel didn't do too good on their end of the bargain, did they? But even though God says, if you do well, I'll bless, and if you don't, I'll curse, and all this kind of stuff. In the midst of that, there was some prophecy about the very end. Deuteronomy chapter 15, look at verse 6. It says, For the Lord your God will bless you as He has promised, and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. Has this happened yet? No, it hasn't. I mean, the United States right now lends to Israel. I think it's like $3 billion a year or something like that is what we have. As a, and I'm, hear me, I'm glad. Uh, those who bless Israel will be blessed, and those who turn their back on them, which unfortunately I think we're doing, are going to be cursed. But this prophecy hasn't happened yet. And it says, they're going to rule over many nations. But none will rule over you. Now, it's not just the nation of Israel. It's going to be the Old Testament saints. Because as you know, there are many in Israel who don't get to be a part of that millennial kingdom because of the rejection of the Messiah. And they're going to be punished in it for eternity. Let me show you another one in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. It says, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all His commands, I will give you, I will give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. Now there's a lot of prophecies that talk about how that's going to happen in the end times. But again, I just wanted you to see that God had said that that was going to happen way back in Deuteronomy. And the last one I want you to see is in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 14, verses 1 and 2. By the way, once you start to get a real picture of the Millennial Kingdom, you're going to start reading books like Isaiah and Ezekiel and those kind of all over again. And you See, what's happened to us, unfortunately, in the church over the years is we've spiritualized a lot of these passages that deal with the literal reign of Jesus on the earth. There are some denominations that teach that that's just God reigning through His church. Folks, let's be honest. Um, the lion's not laying with the lamb. Uh, we're not having the peace and the harmony that we're going to read about in all these passages. Uh, would you let your kids stick their hand in the cobra hole? Right now there's a passage that talks about how a kid can play with the, in the cobra hole. Um, uh, we haven't seen this river go uh, set the dead, free, uh, set dead sea free yet, have we? Uh, there are so many prophecies that you can't spiritualize them. But for a long time, myself included, I grew up in a church that kind of taught that whenever you see anything like that, it's kind of spiritual talk. And Jesus is going to rule and reign through His church. And that's not what it's talking about. So I want to encourage you to go back and reread things. As you read the Gospels, you're going to find a lot of times things that we've kind of talked about being for the church are actually going to be talked 
about when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom. One I found uh, just recently when I was just reading, and that's the place where Jesus talks about, remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to him and they said, uh, okay, you believe in this resurrection? You know, the Sadducees didn't believe that there was a resurrection. The Pharisees did. And they said, well, this lady, she was married to this guy and he died and the brother, according to the law of leverage marriage, married her and he didn't have any children and so on and seven of them. In the resurrection, whose husband is she going to, or wife is she going to be? And Jesus says, you first of all don't understand the scriptures nor the power of God. And when you go to that passage where Jesus talks about it, he's talking about the millennial kingdom. And you look at it and it, clearly he's talking about the millennial kingdom. And he says that we're going to be like the angels, not marrying and giving in marriage in heaven. Now we've always kind of, I've always taught that, but when we get to heaven we're going to, you know, I'll know where is my, my wife, but not as my wife, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Actually, Jesus was talking about the millennial kingdom. When we come back, we're not going to be marrying at that time period. We're going to be ruling and reigning, but we're not going to be making babies during that time. Now the people on the earth will be. There will be lots of people making babies, those who made it through that time period. But I don't believe the Bible teaches that we're going to be making babies during that time period. Now, at the same time, you have a question? How did you know it was the millennial? If I had that passage in front of me, I could show you. If we, if we have time, I can look at that up. But it, it talks about that. Another one is in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul talks about the resurrection and how some people are saying there is no resurrection. And he goes into that whole detail of, well, if there's no resurrection, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead and so on. And then he talks about the kind of bodies that we're going to have. And he doesn't really even know what they're going to be like. And he, in that section where he talks about what you put in the ground is not the same that comes out when you plant a seed. But his question started like this. With what kind of bodies will they come? All this time I've been reading about our bodies we're going to have in heaven. But he says, with what kind of bodies will they come? Never seen that come word before. Now all of a sudden it makes a whole lot of sense. Because when we come, we're going to have our new bodies and we'll get to that tonight. But what kind of bodies will we have when we come? Paul was trying to deal with. One more millennial prophecy here. Isaiah 14, verses 1 and 2. The Lord will have compassion on Jacob. Once again, he will choose Israel and will settle them in their own land. Aliens will join them and unite with the house of Jacob. Nations will take them and bring them to their own place. And the house of Israel will possess the nations and men servants and maidservants in the Lord's land. They will make captives of their captors and rule over their oppressors. During the millennial reign, the Old Testament saints, the Jews, are going to rule and reign as well. Alright? Now, let's keep moving on here. We've got a lot to cover in a short period of time. What I want to deal with real quick, pull out your piece of paper that I gave you. This is a, a, a brief, and there are more scriptures here that you can look up on your own. We're going to look at them. Um, you see, there you go. You have the Messiah, Jesus. And there's a Gentile branch of government. And there's going to be a Jewish branch of government. All right, on the Gentile branch, the church and tribulation saints are going to be uh, ruling, and they'll be over kings and over Gentile nations. On the Jewish branch, you have David, and I'm about to show you that real quick. You have David, who is uh, ruling with Jesus in Jerusalem, and you also have the 12 apostles over the 12 tribes of Israel, and then there's going to be princes, and there's going to be judges and counselors, and Israel will be over the Gentiles in some of those verses we've just looked at. But that's a brief uh, summation of the branch if you want to look at that later on. But I want to deal real quickly with the passages that talk about David. 
You see there in Jeremiah 30. I'm actually, I've changed some of those verses that I got those from, uh, from Tony. I've added a couple of verses to it. Uh, go, go to Jeremiah chapter uh, 30, but look at verses 8 and 9. A lot of people haven't really understood. A lot of times over the years they've read David and just had to put Jesus in there. But I think the Bible clearly says that David himself is going to rule from Jerusalem in that time period as well. So Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. It says, In that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will break the yoke off their necks and will tear off their bonds. No longer will foreigners enslave them. Instead, they will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Alright? Here we see David is going to actually be ruling and reign. Why not? If we're going to get to rule and reign, why isn't David allowed to come back and rule and reign? And he's going to, but it gets even more clear than that. Go to Hosea chapter 3. In this passage here, Hosea has been taught, told by God to remarry uh, the, his wife who had become a prostitute and left him. And here's why he's told to do this. He said, for the Israelites, look at verses 4 and 5. And, and folks, if you ever want to see a prophecy that's right now, here is one. Listen. For the Israelites will live, with, will live, will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones without ephod or idol. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and who? And David, their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to His blessings in the last days. Look at this. Here it says that they were going to go many days without what? Without sacrifice. And without a prince or king. And without the ephod or idol. They're not going to be worshiping idols. They're not going to be worshiping anything. They're going to be many days like that. But at the end... They're going to come back and they're going to worship God and David is going to be there to rule over them as well. Let me show you two more places in Ezekiel. Back in Ezekiel chapter uh, 34. 34. 3, 4. Look at verses 23 and 24. God says, I will place over them one shepherd. Who? My servant David. And he will tend them he will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. One more. Ezekiel 37. Verses 24 through 28. My servant David will be king over them. And they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers. And I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. So, over the years, by the way, I've heard preachers say, well, when it says David, it means Jesus. No. <laughs> He'll be the, God, the Lord Almighty. David will be David. But David is going to rule and reign in Jerusalem as well. So, just a little informational tidbit for that. 
In the time we have left, what I want to do is deal with this first resurrection topic back in Revelation 20. It's very important that you grasp this. I'm going to give you some scriptures to write down, because for the sake of time, I won't be able to read them all to you tonight. But uh, um, back in Revelation chapter 20, it says, uh, the rest of the dead, verse 5, says, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. Now remember, who's come to life? The church, the tribulation saints, and who else? The Old Testament saints. The, nation, the believing nation of Israel that's with the Lord right now in glory. They have come and set up kingdom with Him. All right, But the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. These are all the unbelievers. These are all those who are in place of torment right now, called Hades. They're there until the great white throne judgment, which we're going to get into next week. All right. Um, it says, this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have a part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they'll be priests of God and of Christ will reign for a thousand years. So, what I want you to hear is this. First off, the fact that they're described as coming to life doesn't mean that they've been in soul sleep, as some teach. There are those, and some denominations teach that when people die, they go into soul sleep until the resurrection at the end, and then they come to life. Because, here it says, they came to life. So, they're thinking that they're in soul sleep. Now, whenever you run across a passage of Scripture like that, you can't build a doctrine on one verse. You can't do that. Because there are some verses that appear to say something that they're really not saying. And I'm going to now give you some scriptures just to remind you, and uh, you can look at them yourself to double-check me later on. But the Bible teaches clearly that when people die, they don't go to soul sleep. They continue living because your soul and your spirit is alive. And it goes to either be with the Lord or you go to the place of torment called Hades until the great lake of fire. In Luke chapter 16, just write this down, verses 19 to 31. Luke 16, 19 to 31. Jesus tells the story of Lazarus and the rich man. It wasn't a parable because in parables, you don't give the guy's name. Alright? This is a true story. And he says, the rich man died and awoke in Hades. Lazarus was carried by the angels into the presence of God, Abraham's bosom, and they were alive and able, well, at least we know the rich man was able to see Lazarus in heaven. And God said, there is no purgatory, there's a gasm, there's no passing back and forth. And uh, it's one of the places that proves that there's no such thing as purgatory, because it says in there, there's a chasm between the two, and ain't nobody passing back and forth. Not that anybody would want to go from heaven to Hades. But in that passage, they didn't go into soul sleep. The rich man was alive and awake and saying, I'm in agony in this flame. Tell Lazarus to go dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. By the way, his attitude had changed quite a bit, hadn't it? Uh, here he was still very pompous, thinking that Lazarus was supposed to still serve him and cool his tongue. He's, but was he in soul sleep? No. We also see in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. Matthew 17, 1 through 3. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Who showed up with him? Elijah and Moses. And they talked with him about what must soon take place in Jerusalem. They couldn't have been sleeping. They were alive. We also see here in Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. Luke 23, 39 through 43, that's Jesus on the cross. And the one thief changes his mind, comes to faith, and says, Remember me when you go into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? He said, Today you will be with me in paradise. There's no soul sleep. So when we see here in Revelation 20, they came to life and reigned with Christ. They didn't, haven't been sleeping. Coming to life simply means they're alive again on the earth. They're alive now. But they don't have their bodies. 
All those who have gone to be with the Lord don't have their bodies. I'm about to show you, by the way, that we get our bodies in different time periods. The church gets their body first. That's why, by the way, when John saw the 24 elders around the throne, they had bodies. But when you see the tribulation saints under the altar, they didn't have bodies. The church gets their bodies, and we're going to get to that. Do you have a question? So it's basically just like in the beginning, when God breathed the breath of life into the human body, mm-hmm. our, the soul is already alive, and so it's just the it's for the tribulation saints and the Old Testament saints at this point. But yes, at the rapture is when the church gets their new bodies. I want you to see this. All right, so go to Romans chapter eight. We're going to get our bodies first. Romans chapter eight, verses twenty-two through twenty-three. All right, look at what, what Paul says here. I'm sorry, Romans 8, verses 22, I'm glad you said that, through 23. I want to make sure people see this. All right, he's just talked about how creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. All right, and then it says in verse 22, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have what? The first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons or the redemption of our bodies. When He comes to get us is when we get our new bodies. You say, well, how do you get that from there? I don't. I just want you to see we're waiting for our adoption as sons. Those of us who have the Spirit within us are... How come you're homesick for a place you've never been? Your Spirit, the Spirit of God who lives within you has been there. Is there. That's why you are ready to go. But when He comes and gets you, that's when you get your new body. Let me show you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Very familiar passage. Here's a picture of the rapture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Brothers, he says, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. And by the way, that means die. But as you already know, they don't fall asleep sleep. Their bodies die. They go to be with the Lord. Uh, We don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep or already gone to be with Him. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with the loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Remember, they're coming with Him, but their bodies are going to come up out of the ground first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will be with the Lord forever. He says, encourage each other with, the, with these words. So when he comes at the rapture, he's bringing with him all those who, in the church that have gone to be with him. They're going to come. Their bodies are come up out of the ground. He's going to remake their bodies. Those of us who are alive are going to be changed. Well, Paul says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You'll see Paul talk about this as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52. 
By the way, those that are listening online, by the way, love the fact that they like to listen online because it's at this point they always push pause so they could catch up and look at these passages and move on. So uh, I encourage you, if you feel like it's gone too fast, go back online and listen to it. Uh, there are many others that are doing the same thing. And there are those who just love turning me on. So 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and 52. Look at what Paul says. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. So the church get their resurrected bodies at the rapture. Yeah, I I can't wait. I don't know what kind of bodies it's going to be. I don't know. Paul says he didn't know. If Paul didn't know, we don't know. But we know this much, it's going to be different from the kind we've been given. He says when you put a seed in the ground, what comes out is a different form. Whatever is going to be put in the ground of our bodies, what comes out is going to be a different form, and it's going to be awesome. Whatever it is, don't worry about it. The best I can tell you is maybe it's going to be a lot like Jesus' body when He was resurrected. He was able to be recognized as Jesus, yet he could pass through walls. Yet he could also just disappear and show up somewhere else. But he could eat. He said, give me some fish. He probably won't need health care. Yeah. Don't even get me started on that one. Let's just move on for now. All right. Okay. Now, I want to show you the tribulation saints get their bodies, though, at the return of Jesus Christ, at the second coming. And we're not going to turn there because we've read it a ton of times, but just write it down if you want to. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, remember the fifth seal was opened and he saw the souls under the altar and they were saying, when are you going to avenge our blood? And they were told to wait a little longer until what? The rest of those who are going to be killed as they had been were killed. And then we saw back in Revelation chapter 20, verses, uh, verses 4 through 6, what happened? They hadn't received His mark on their foreheads or their hands, and they came to life and reigned with Christ. The tribulation saints, those who will come to faith in Jesus during that time period, will be with the Lord in heaven. They don't get their bodies till the second coming. When Jesus comes back, they get their bodies at that time, and they will get, like I say, they'll get theirs. And that's, by the way, when the Old Testament saints get their bodies too. The resurrected bodies will be given to the Old Testament saints at the exact same time. Let me show you three quick places, and I think we're going to make it, three quick places that show about this. One is Isaiah 26, verses 19 through 21. It's okay, Isaiah 26, verses 19 through 21. says, but your dead bodies will live, their bodies will rise. Sorry, your dead will live, their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. Go, my people, enter your rooms and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until his wrath has passed by. See, the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the blood shed upon her. She will conceal her slain no longer. They're going to get their new bodies at the second coming. Let me give you another one. Ezekiel 37, verses 12 through 14. By the way, I'm loving how, as we have been in this study for so long, you guys are finding all these places so much faster. You notice how Ezekiel's getting quick? You're getting quick with Ezekiel now. And, and even Hosea, you know what he said? Wait a minute! Uh, you're getting faster at Hosea. That's good. Ezekiel 37, verses 12 through 14. 37? 37. 
God says, Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I'll put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. I find it interesting that he says, and then. Yeah. Then you know. Well, he's talking to the whole of Israel. He's talking to the whole of Israel. Not those who are coming with getting their new bodies at that time. But the whole of Israel will know him at that time. Because that's when they realize, ooh, look on the one they pierced. Well, last one, though, is Daniel chapter 12. Hopefully none of us are slow enough that at that point we'll figure it out. Hopefully before then we will. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 13. Daniel 12. I'm waiting for you to see this one. Alright. Alright, it says, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not has happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and and everlasting contempt. Now we know from Revelation, the first group that are going to be coming to everlasting life are going to be a part of the first resurrection when Jesus comes back. Those who are going to rise to everlasting contempt will not happen until the end of the thousand years, which we'll get to next time we get together as a study. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Verse 13, as for you, Daniel, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Now, is Daniel with the Lord right now? Yes. Can you recognize Daniel if you were to see him today? Yes. Because Moses and Elijah were recognizable. But their resurrected body, they don't get until Jesus comes back. That's when it happens. Now, those of us involved in the first resurrection need not fear the second death. By the way, which Revelation says is the lake of fire. We're going to get into that next time we get together. We're going to take a look at the Great White Throne Judgment, the Lake of Fire, the Second Death, all that kind of stuff. It's a a fun, fun study, actually. And uh, we'll look at Hades versus the Lake of Fire and how there's a difference. All right? But it says, um, what I've wrapped up here and we'll wrap up with it is, those of us involved in the first resurrection, resurrection need not fear the Second Death, which is the Lake of Fire. The only ones coming to life at this time are the righteous ones. The rest of the dead, the ones we'll look at next week, or next time we get together, will come to life at the end of the millennium, only to face the judgment in the lake of fire. Blessed are those who take part in the first resurrection. And thank God we will. Folks, I just gave you, by the way, a tiny, tiny, tiny piece of the scriptures that are actually here that talk about this thousand year period. And if you really want to sit and read them, oh, they'll make you giggly. They're pretty exciting. I'm not kidding you. When you start looking at some of the promises that God has said, and that Jesus Himself is going to be here, and He's going to be reigning, and we're going to be able to reign with Him. How that works, I don't know. Some of you are probably scared to death. I don't want to be in charge. Uh, don't worry. God will, God will equip you and empower you to do whatever it is He asks you to do. And uh, you'll have a new body that can't kill you. So uh, it'll, it'll, be, it'll, be a good, it'll be a good time. Let me pray for us and we'll wrap up. Father, again, uh, thank you for how quickly these hours go by as we study your word.
Thank you for these that are coming to, uh, to, to di- try to digest a little bit as I rapidly uh, teach these things. But Lord, thank you that you're the one that's actually doing the teaching. O- open our eyes fresh and anew each day to the fact that this world is not all there is. And Lord, there's lots of stuff happening, not only in our world, but in our nation right now that grieves us. Uh, things that are being done and decisions being made by those in authority over us right now that make us say, no, no, but Lord, may we not grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. May we understand that ultimately you're in control and you will take care and you'll provide. And there are brothers and sisters all around the world who are having it a lot worse than we are. And so, Father, we pray for your grace, not only for them, for us as well. That we may shine with a peace and a joy that comes from understanding that you've been showing us it's all going to work out. And one day, not only is it going to work out, you're going to reward us a hundred times as much. And Lord, you're generous. We look forward to that day. I want to swim in that river that Ezekiel got to wade in. I want to swim in it. And just praise you while I do for the fact that you had said it was going to happen. And I got to be a part of it. Thank you that your word has talked about how you're going to give salvation. You're going to give it as a gift, and I've gotten already to experience that. Oh, Lord, there's so much more. May we be faithful through the end by your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.